You're listening to the Horsefest podcast with the founders of Horsefest. I'm Thea. And hello, this is Heidi. Each podcast is dedicated to you and your passion for everything horse. We'll be speaking to elite riders, equestrian experts and special guests, all focused on bringing you inspiration, insights and learning in a way that our horse tribe will enjoy. So today we're joined by Justine Harrison, an equine behaviourist who's dedicated herself to helping horse owners understand and solve horse behaviour problems. Justine, welcome to the Horse Fest podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to speak to you both. Oh, Oh, we're delighted you're here. (laughs) Really, really pleased. Um, Now, like pretty much every expert and elite rider that we've spoken to so far, you've been involved with horses from a really very early age. So tell us first about your passion for horses and how they came into your life. Oh, I had um, a very horsey mum and my, both my parents rode, actually. They were both very interested oh, in, wow. um, yeah. in riding. And at about three years old, my mum took me for riding lessons at a, a local riding school. And within a few weeks, I think, I was asked, would I like to ride one of their show ponies in Ooh. showing classes? Mm. So... Um, so I started showing from that point very, very early on. God, that's teeny tiny. Yeah. yeah. Teeny, teeny tiny in the lead range. Lead range, yeah. yeah. And, um, <laughs> and then my parents bought me my first pony, I think when I was about six or seven years old. And I discovered I love show jumping. And that was it. I never looked back from that point, <laughs> I think. Um, and I started jumping in affiliated classes when I was about nine or ten. And oh, show wow. jumping in both juniors and then seniors when I, when um, I got a horse at about fourteen, I was I was far too tall. And in the junior classes, I'd started knocking the fences down with my feet. So <laughs> that's not <laughs> good. Look. Yeah, um, but I'm an only child, and my mum and dad both worked, and so I think the yard was a very good babysitter for me ah. initially. And I was dropped off after school, and very early in the morning. Um, in school holidays and was picked up late so I ended up spending an awful lot of time with with my pony and horse watching and I think that was where it started I I think they became members of the family for me really oh that sounds like an idyllic childhood (laughs) to be dropped (laughs) off at the yard and picked up again I know the only the only thing was it would end especially in winter it would be freezing and I would be the one sitting there waiting to be collected I'd be the only one in the yard you know Oh, um, wrapped in a horse rug yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely in a feed room yeah. but um I think I had a bit of a bad reputation really um I used to gallop everywhere and I used to jump the picnic tables in the local park that we weren't allowed to ride in and I've ridden on <laughs> golf courses I mean I, I was terrible and I used to get chased by the park rangers so <laughs> yeah I have to cringe a bit about what I did at the time so you know uh, <sighs> I do I, I I, many moons ago I did used to play golf but I now do look at golf courses and think oh wow that just been an amazing gallop look at I that. know <laughs> I've done it once let's hope there's I've no golfers listening what a waste yeah, of a gallop yeah I know. absolutely <laughs> and, and outside of of work which we'll come on to what's mm. your involvement with horses now are you still riding do you get to ride I don't get to ride nearly as often as I'd like I don't have a horse at the moment after my last horse was put down I decided to take a short break from horse owning and I then I started traveling a lot for work and 
I just haven't seemed to end up with the the time to think about getting another horse. Um, so I don't get to ride nearly as much as I'd like to. I have friends who let me ride their horses very kindly. Um, and every summer I think I must go and look for a horse and it just hasn't happened. I've got to say though, we get to winter and by the time we've got to November, I'm absolutely yeah. thrilled I don't have to get yeah. up at, at five o'clock in the morning before work, you know. But I really, I do miss it. But of course, I do get my horsey fix from from the clients that I see. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, yeah, let's let's think about work now. And um, so you studied psychology, human psychology yeah. um, back in the day, which I did as well. So joint fascination there. Um yeah. Tell us how you decided to, to start with human psychology and then how you sort of cross, moved across into equine psychology and behaviour. How did that story work out? Well, the human psychology perspective, I didn't, I didn't do a degree in human psychology, but I did study um, graphic design. I was a graphic designer, actually, and ah. I studied design and uh, psychology of advertising. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. So, so I did a lot about learning um, and... Uh, in relation to advertising and and design and and what we what how we perceive things um, as humans I hadn't really thought that I could translate that over to horses on any level at all Um, and really what triggered my interest was I bought um, a young horse a four-year-old Dutch warm blood called Boris and um, (laughs) And I started having um, some problems with him. He he was when I initially bought him, he was very quiet and he didn't really put a foot wrong. And then, almost with I would say within a week, he just became extremely aggressive and would rear and strike out at me when I was leading him. And he was seventeen too, even at that early age. And he was really difficult and very frightening to handle. And so I think that became the beginning of a kind of two year journey to try and work out what was going on with him. And I had, of course, I had a load of vets and physios and osteopaths. I think we got to eight over a two year period wow. um, to try and find <laughs> out if he had any physical issues. And I asked my riding instructor and a couple of trainers for help. And I was told that he was being naughty or that he was evil or that he was taking the mickey. Mm. I wish we'd had sue dyson's information that you've just Mm. been giving out um at that time and i just kept asking everybody why he was behaving this way and nobody could give me any answers so i decided to go and study horse behavior myself and find out why why he was behaving like this um but i was convinced he had a physical issue and i was very very lucky in that a friend of mine at the time worked at the at leehurst as uh, leehurst equine Mm. hospital as the radiographer And she and I had a chat. I thought there was something wrong with his neck and she recommended that he should be seen by a specialist. So we got him in and they x-rayed his neck and it turned out that he had a very, very advanced arthritis and injuries consistent with having had a rotational fall, basically. So a lot of his behaviour was pain related. Um, But once I started studying it, really, I realised that how often behaviour is misinterpreted and... So many horses are considered naughty when they're really trying to tell us in the best way that they can that they're struggling, I guess. Yeah. So at that point, I decided to give up my job as a graphic designer and work as a behaviour consultant. And in many ways, the best thing I ever did. And in many ways, the weirdest thing I've ever done. (laughs) (laughs) The biggest move I've ever made. But um, yeah, so that's how I got to that point. 
I, I'm fascinated by the weirdest thing I've ever done. So <laughs> tell us a bit more about that. No, no. Well, I meant weird. it's weird in the... I've just made such a massive move from from yeah. a relatively secure job to <laughs> one that is to one that is you know I'm self-employed and it was just uh, a leap of faith really I think but it, I just I was so fascinated by it and I love horses and I think I, I probably always wanted to work with horses and in many ways I wish I'd I'd, I'd started working with horses rather than going into design in my twenties. Yeah, yeah. You, you know what? The more Thea and I are so lucky, we get to speak to some amazing people such as yourself, and we've chatted to Andrew McLean and other people. And the more and more I hear, the more I thought, oh, I love human psychology, but I really wish I'd done horse psychology oh. or behaviour. It would have been yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's never yeah too but late. we're still learning. We're still late. learning. No, absolutely. absolutely. You can do it. You oh, can do it. Totally we lucky. So we so desperately need some more good behavior consultants out there so you, you should be considering a, a, a career change oh uh, uh, you know don't tell me don't tell me, to me. <laughs> i've just got i've just got a festival to put together and then after that oh yeah <laughs> and that's really important yes it is, yes, it is. Oh. so obviously with the festival we've, we've got loads of experts working with us like i said we Thea and i are learning masses through our horse fest and horse tribe ventures but yeah. you've studied with two different experts as well about who you've studied with and how that's impacted on your career well I started when I had the problems with Boris this was Mm. in about I'm going to say 2004 or 2005 and information about equine equine behavior at that time Mm. really available in main so I went to study at a private college um, with a lady called Heather Simpson uh, in South Wales and she was an incredible lady um, with a massive amount of information. And that gave me a very good foundation in the science of uh, horse behaviour and a very difficult, uh, difficult, different, a different ethical approach, really, to dealing with horses than I mm. was used to from coming from a, um, a very traditional background. And after I'd finished there doing the theory side of it, I wanted to... Um, expand on that knowledge really and get practical experience so I went to spend time with um, an animal behaviorist called Mark Kylie Worthington uh, and she at the time lived in the French Alps she's moved back to the UK now and Mark is a character and quite a legend in the field of horse behavior and she's been researching horse behavior for decades Hmm. and um was talking about improving welfare and management in the 1980s really that we are only just doing now oh wow um uh, but i think most i what was most striking for me going to going to stay with mart was if she's bred generations of horses so within her herd she's got youngsters their parents their great-grandparents all living together and um mares and stallions bringing up youngsters and so going to see that was just incredibly eye-opening for me Uh, I saw an established horse family generations of horses and I don't think I'd ever really seen truly relaxed horses before and they were also confident in um, their behavior and their interactions with people and I don't think anything prepared me for that that was extraordinary um, so since then, I, I guess I've just done as much CPD as I can, learning from different trainers, ethologists and equine scientists. And I try and keep up to date with current research and adapt any my work in relation to that. 
and um, and I guess I learn from every case I see. Um, each horse and owner is an individual with, and they've all got different behaviour problems or different management and a different background. So I feel like I'm learning every day still. I'm absolutely fascinated fascinated by you being able to see this whole family structure that is so rare to see now isn't it unless you I don't know somewhere like maybe maybe the new forest you would have to spend a lot of time there wouldn't you to to get this whole kind of observation because really it wouldn't have been seen for hundreds of years I guess I don't yeah and I don't know where I I suppose you would I'm I'm even thinking in the new forest I don't know whether you would see that because so many horses get taken out and then sold on um, but I suppose in conservation areas that you would see it. I did. I was very lucky to go and see um, some horse, some conic horses in a conservation area in Holland. Um, and there was a huge herd of about 120 horses. And sitting and watching them was just extraordinary. Absolutely brilliant. And so different than anything that we would see in a domestic situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Incredible. incredible. And... Uh, as well as your day job and everything else that you juggle in your life, you're also the chair of the International Association of Animal Behaviour Consultants, we understand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like yeah. a huge responsibility. What does that involve and, and what I, are your aims? Um, well, I'm, I'm co-chair in the UK along with Tom Candy, who actually works for the Dogs Trust. He's a, he's a dog behaviour consultant with the Dogs Trust. And so he looks after the canine side of things um, because we deal with the IABC um, uh, deals with a number of species. So cat, parrots, um, uh, dogs and horses. And, um, and I think really between us, we're trying to raise the profile of the IABC here in the UK. It's an American organisation uh, and it's international. So, um, and the IABC is really trying to raise and improve the standard of behavior modification i think um i'm also on their application review committee so i'm part of the team that assesses the applications of those applying to become horse behavior consultants um but i mean i i think i joined the iabc as i think they're the most forward-thinking animal behavior and training organization and um they have really excellent policies in relation to animal behavior modification and training um, there is no regulation of um, behaviorists or trainers and and sadly there are a lot of people out working as trainers that can do a lot of harm I think mm-hmm. and um, uh, and I actually joined the IABC initially because I'd read about the Lima protocol which is L-I-M-A uh, which I thought was groundbreaking at the time but now another uh, quite a lot of organizations have taken this on and LIMA stands for Least Intrusive, Minimally Aversive. And it's a humane hierarchy of how to approach dealing with behaviour modification or any training you're going to do. So the uh, IABC consultants um, work to increase the use of positive reinforcement. So starting with the least intrusive or the kindest way of training something um, and realistically, if if those approaches don't work or they're in a situation where they can't use those approaches, then you would move down a hierarchy with um, the training technique, I suppose, becoming 
most intrusive or invasive for the animal towards the end so that at the end it would be punishment and i would hope none of us would ever get to that point mm. um so owners can be assured that their horse is going to be handled and trained in the most humane way possible and i think that's quite groundbreaking really i don't think it, um we should all be thinking about that really mm. yeah. really interesting yeah. so yeah. Re- remind me what it stands for least intrusive minimal minimally aversive aversive that's the yeah. word yeah interesting i'll have to give you a link for it for to the protocol for the um uh, for for horse tribe yeah absolutely yeah. that'd be really yeah. helpful for people to be able to get hold of it yeah 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 um and we're, we're super excited that you're going to be one of the horse fest experts at the festival next summer um but you're also in the meantime and very soon going to be running some webinars for the membership community horse yes. really excited about Can, oh. we've chatted a little what are the highlights that you're going to be covering um, and helping the horse tribe with? Well, I wanted to look at fear and yes. stress in horses. Mm. And I think those are more important, most important for me because I think they're the two key areas that lead to the most behaviour problems in the horses I see. So I really wanted to make horse owners aware of um, um, the early signs of fear in horses and um, how we can early how how we can recognise those early signs. Um, um, so many of the behavioural problems I see are because horse owners have missed the early signs of fear in horses, and they've pushed their horses too far. And then the horse has gone on to perform more dangerous behaviours, and put them put both the horse and the owner in a very difficult situation. So. I really want to talk about how we can recognise the early signs of fear, why it's important for us to notice those things, those signs, um, what we can do to help in the short and the long term, perhaps by looking at management or handling. And I also want to look at stress. Yeah. So why we need to know about it, how it affects the horse, um, what we can do to manage our horse's stress in different situations and reduce their stress overall. And I think if horse owners can start considering those things we're going to end up with a lot of happier probably healthier horses really yeah so it's actually recognizing so that you can have an earlier intervention stop the yes. escalation isn't it absolutely yes yeah well, i think yeah. it sounds like a brilliant skill to have with humans as well as horses to yeah. yeah 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 and it's a bit of a common theme isn't it because it's similar when we're talking to sue dyson about recognition of um, behavioural indicators of discomfort. It's the same thing. If you find them early enough, then you can you can intervene and you can do something yeah. positive to rectify the problem if the horse is in pain. Like you're saying, if the horse is fearful, we can stop it from getting to the point where it becomes panic, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Sue Dyson's work has been amazing. That's her, her ridden horse ethogram. Thank goodness that's come along. And really, I think it's it's made people far more, it was made, horse owners have become far more aware of recognising those early signs and how important it is. And I think it's going to change how we view our horses going forward. And just in brilliant, brilliant work from her. Yeah. So, so good that you've got this information on the website. Yeah, it, well, we are very fortunate with all of you, actually. And we've got, we have got some articles we've got downloadable um take key takeaways from that we've got the webinars and both Heidi and I have personally benefited from learning and spotting things in our own horses so quickly now that we yeah. can get the team 
of different people around that we need and, and work out what's happening. So, yeah, it's it's huge. So we're really excited to hear. Yes, to this next um, piece of the jigsaw, your, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So that, you know, about fear and stress, because it helps us manage our own physiology um, yeah. and therefore, you know, have this kind of positive, more positive interaction, doesn't it? If we know what's happening, we don't panic as much either. And you don't get that kind of sort of downward spiral, I guess, between the two of you. Yeah. And I think, sadly, a lot of the a lot of the people I see, um, perhaps because their horse has been in, there might have been undiagnosed pain, which we could go back to Sue Dyson again. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of horses that have undiagnosed diagnosed pain, and of course, I was in the same situation with Boris. This is really, yeah. really difficult to, and I'm not criticising vets at all. There, I think it can be very difficult for vets to um, work out what's going on, and mm-hmm. it can take a lot of time to investigate these things um and um but as a result a lot of the people that i see might have um their relationship with the horse has been damaged and um those we need to rebuild those relationships and for people to be getting on with their horses again yeah rebuild that trust i guess yeah absolutely absolutely yeah yeah oh it's going to be absolutely fascinating really excited about about this we'll we'll be scribbling notes as usual in the background too yeah i think you're in a very enviable enviable situation Uh, you've got so much uh, information between the pair of you now i know it's It's unbelievable (laughs) we're like we're exploding with brilliant kind of uh, uh, tips and and it's really changed i think for both of us hasn't it heidi how we look at our horses how we interact with our horses and yeah it's we're hugely um excited by every every expert and all the all the detail coming through um and you you also must have a huge depth of fabulous horsey memories and we we wanted to tap in and if you had to pick one what would be your most memorable horsey moment so far that do you know that's such a tough question Mm. um i have i well i'm gonna say i've got a couple my most my, easily my most memorable moment, but probably not for the right reasons, is um, <laughs> those are often the best. Is yeah. um, when I was when I was little, I've I'd qualified for the final at Windsor Horse Show, and the pony that I was in the first ridden or something like that. I think I was about seven or eight, and um, when so we were in the main arena, walking around and. The queen came in to sit down just as I was going past the bandstand and the drummer started a drum roll right next to me. So the little pony that I was riding bolted with me in um, right across the arena. And I honestly, I can remember it so clearly. I I was just screaming, mom, at the top of my voice. (laughs) And... um, and he, he, I think he did a couple of laps and I eventually got caught. One of the horse guards, I think, caught my reins. And I just cried and cried and cried and um, was led back into the middle of the arena to get my, my rosette. And, oh, oh, yeah, just horrendous. But my, my first experience with a serious behaviour problem as well, I would imagine. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but um, apart from that, another one... Um, which is very memorable for it for different reasons and again maybe not good but very enlightening um i'd moved i'd actually moved boris to to a yard where um i was training him in the arena and um it, this it was the first time i'd been somewhere that i could actually leave 
the arena gate open when I was training him. And I was using positive reinforcement. So I was using food. It was I was it was in my early stages of, of using food in training. And um, I was trying to train him to go through a maze and uh, on on hand cues. And uh, he used to learn incredibly quickly. He was one of the he's the best, easily the best teacher I've ever had. And oh. he um, and I asked him to go through it in one direction and he went through it and he just turned around. He, he, he got to the point he could pick up these things so quickly. He just turned around, and came back through it. And then I went, brilliant. OK, asked him to go through it again. And he just walked through it and he just walked straight out of the gate. And it was like, <laughs> you're boring. I'm going back to the stable. And he wasn't, he didn't He's rush. back to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I did, as he was leaving the arena, I said, Boris. And he stopped and he turned around and looked back at me. And I thought, oh, my God, my training is going to have to get a lot better to deal with it. <laughs> um, oh, love him. But it was, I think that was such a turning point for me because I was just thinking about horses having choice in um, in what we do with them and what we do with them being interesting and how clever they are because I just thought oh we're going to need to do this another 10 times no he got it you know could they, they can pick things up in one trial and I just think quite often we'll overtrain them or what have you so so that was a really big turning point for me mm. it's clearly in your blood because you're you're picking out lessons from every interaction with 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 horses very quickly yourself <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah oh, I love absolutely. that I'm, and I'm also fascinated by use of food actually because often you I don't I feel like I've been told don't use food if you're having a challenge to you know bring a horse in or something so tell us a bit more about the use of food in positive reinforcement well positive positive reinforcement itself is rewarding the animal when they perform the right behavior mm. so we can uh and and when we reward them when they do the right behavior or we use positive reinforcement um, they are more likely to perform the behavior again so it's a great way of training and um we could but we are limited with horses i mean it's 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 very widely used in the dog world but um and so dog trainers will use play or um uh, or treats to Mm. to reward their animals we can't really reward horses with play uh, or I mean I don't I know how horses play I don't want to play with my horses I've got to say not their games anyway I don't want to play yeah. their games um, so really using food and using wither scratches um, yeah. or the company of other horses we can we can be very creative and we can try and reward them with different things but um, f- I think food is a really really useful tool but it just needs a bit of thinking about how it's set up so that they don't become muggy and that your timing is good and that you are setting them up um, to, to be successful in, in, um, in their training. Um, mm. But it's, it can be so effective. It can be yeah. so effective. I wouldn't recommend it for all horses. And I see an awful lot of horses that have problems with food, but um certainly for fear for, for dealing with um fear problems it can be really really useful yeah, yeah. It, it's really important how quick the the reward is isn't it um you, yeah. and i think a lot of people yeah. delay the reward without realizing that then they're not rewarding the right behavior yeah and the horse can become very frustrated because yeah. if they're then if they're waiting for it 
and the food isn't forthcoming, then we can start seeing them becoming frustrated, starting to mug, starting to mug the owner and um, and becoming fed up with the whole process, really. Yeah. yeah. So, so what's about three seconds we've got? I Two. think so. Yeah. Something like that, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. As quickly as you can, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, uh, that's really interesting because I, I have noticed I'll be doing a lot of carrot stretches with, with my horse at the moment because he's he's coming back from a, a little operation and now if I touch him a certain point on his belly, he's like, "Would oh, you like me to do a stretch through my legs?" Oh, so, he, oh. so he's he's yeah, very quick to learn. They learn so fast. <laughs> they do learn so fast. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I tried to do the one through the belly and he's like, "No, you put your your hand started there." So why don't we just have it where your hand started? Oh. <laughs> They're very, very good at training us. I think. Yeah, are they, are they? Aren't they? Oh. <laughs> so, what's been your bit, the biggest ch- um, challenge for you in your career so far, uh, Justine? And um, how have you overcome that? I think, I think there are a lot of challenges working as a behaviour consultant, and I yeah, think every some, day. Yeah, there's, and I, I think probably one of the biggest problems is there's a lot of traditional thought that's ingrained in the equestrian community which isn't particularly helpful from the horse's point of view. Mm. Um, And I think, uh, like, horses being seen as commodities rather than sentient beings. So sometimes there's little consideration of their emotional state. And owners can be quite anthropomorphic. They can uh, sort of project human um, opinion onto their horse's behaviour and and so p- can misinterpret their horse's behaviour or sometimes misunderstand it and uh, how how to overcome that I don't you know, that's a work in progress and I'm still working on that and I'm I'm hoping my work as a consultant and um, my affiliations with the uh, the IABC I guess and um, with social media and I've got some online courses that I hope we can get out some good information and start changing attitudes really yeah and that's everything that we're trying to do yeah absolutely I know you're doing a very good job well. yeah oh thank oh thank you so much and but it's because of people like yourself that are so passionate about sharing their knowledge that we we simply want horse fest and horse trial to be the conduit for that for getting really good quality information so people can make good choices yeah yeah Um, and I think it's a bit of a minefield at the moment I think there's it can be very difficult for horse owners to know where to go really yeah yeah and just fantastic that you you're doing this great initiative and uh, and I love your ethos really so it's great that you're doing this Oh, thank you for being a part of it. Thank you. <laughs> um, now, we we do always ask to see if there is a funny but clean story that you can share. With, yeah, holding back names to share blushes, of course, but, but there must be a, a few, I bet a few funny stories that you can tell. <laughs> oh, I've been, I've been chased in a few fields by horses, you know, unknowingly when clients haven't told me where the horse is, that there's been uh, an aggressive, <laughs> aggressive horse and things like that but um i do see i see um quite a lot as you can imagine quite a lot of horses who are quite damaged or stressed so it's it's very nice when horse owners report back to me with their success stories um i did have one really lovely client uh, a few years ago who was a professional eventer and um her horse was very difficult to load and had always been very difficult to load and um and he got to the point that he wouldn't go within about 20 metres of the horse box ramp. Gosh. And so we worked together on a 
step-by-step plan for her to address this using positive reinforcement and um so trying to make the 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 wagon as nice a place for him and um just going at his pace trying not to put any pressure on him and make the make make the wagon a lovely place to be and my client did the most wonderful job but one day she called me and she said uh, just i've got a problem i was okay and she said he won't come off <laughs> and I, I i honestly i was just like yeah that's brilliant she said no really he won't come off he won't come off the lorry oh, no. and uh so we uh, that's a nice problem to have but he had just got to the point that he loved it so much and she hadn't taken him anywhere she'd fed him on the she'd fed him on the wagon and what have you and he loved it and he used to stand on there and he would he was watching everybody in the car park and it had just become routine for him and uh, so he would he wouldn't come off but 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 she did she did such a good job and transformed him really from um from being absolutely terrified i think at one point he dropped to the floor in the in the in the lorry when he was traveling i mean he really oh. was quite a mess about it and now he's the yard safe traveler and uh, and a companion for horses who who were worried about loading, but yeah. So th- in a way, it was a nice problem to have. But honestly, she she'd said, "No, he won't come off." And I was like, "Yay, that's great!" No, really, Justine, it isn't. I, he won't come off. Okay, that's so funny. I oh. love that. Oh. oh, I love that. I'm working on that with my boy at the moment. Oh, we you? got as far as him loading himself so far. And, uh, oh, brilliant! And then brilliant. he did stand yesterday and just look around and then tried to eat a bit of hanging basket. No, come on. <laughs> oh no <laughs> um, another question we all, always ask our experts uh justine is do you have a relatable t- pass on to people um what, what would that be for you i guess um to never stop learning and to be open and to question everything which i know is brilliant part of the ethos that you that you have as well and i suppose to try and consider things from your horse's perspective um and um yeah, I, I mean, no matter what, whether I like somebody or I don't, or I don't agree with the principles, I, I, I think I learn from everybody, you know, and um, and I think it's just being open, and we must think that we we, we never stop learning. Yeah, yeah, uh, I think that is um, a great mantra for life itself, but yes. but, but particularly with horses and you said um you said earlier on you said about listening listening to your horse as well and that's listening mm. with your ears and with your eyes isn't it yeah and absolutely. just what are they trying to tell us what are they trying yeah. to tell us yeah yeah oh absolutely wonderful well thank you so much for joining us today Justine we've um you'll really enjoyed it and we would like our listeners to know a little bit more about where they can find you if they'd like to know more. So do tell us Facebook, Instagram, web courses, etc. Yeah. Um, so Facebook, I'm on as Justine Harrison, equine behaviorist. Um, Instagram, I rarely use, but I'm on there as the Justine Harrison, believe it or not, because my name was taken. <laughs> and um, um, my website is equinebehaviorist.co.uk. Um, but also... Uh, about a year ago now um, I started a new platform of um, online education so courses in horse behavior and training and nutrition and body language and neurobiology along with some great colleagues Um, Trudy Dempsey with Rosa Vervice 
Emma Lethbridge and uh, Lauren Fraser in Canada. And um, we've got short on-demand courses that you can watch anytime and some longer instructor-led courses. And so that's called Understand Horses. So the platform is understandhorses.com. And, um, and Understand Horses is also on Facebook and Ad is on Instagram. And I'm making an effort with that one. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. That's brilliant. Well, honestly, it's been absolutely lovely to hear find out more about the person behind the expertise and we cannot wait to see you next year at horse fest but i'm really looking forward to the webinar in a few weeks time i can't, I can't oh, wait for that thank you no i know it'd be great and i can't wait for next for next year it's such a shame that we missed this year oh definitely but, but um, we will be yeah it'll be it will be excited. brilliant it yeah. will be yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> uh, we'll speak to you soon thanks justine thanks Ed. Okay. thank you and bye 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 for now bye Thank you for listening to the Horsefest podcast. We'd love you to subscribe, rate and review the podcast and share it with your horse tribe. Keep tuning in for more episodes with elite riders, equestrian experts and special guests.